Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Um, I hope you're staying healthy. Um, hope hope life is just going great for you. Um, we are going to talk through Galatians 6 here in just a little bit. We're coming off of um, a couple of times ago when I preached uh, Fruit of the Spirit. Um, and so we're kind of continuing on with that in Galatians. Just great stuff through there. Um, before we get into that, I want to say and just assure you that we continue to pray um, continue to talk um, with the deacons and and um, about what this looks like for us going forward. So you continue praying as well. Um, and, and I think we're even going to try to meet um, with the deacons Sunday afternoon and just, just have a good discussion about kind of setting a, a framework for what this will look like. I'm all anxious to get back together, um, I know. So continue to pray about that. Um, pray that we would have wisdom. And just that we would follow exactly God's God's plan for us. So let's let's pray, and then we're going to jump into um, Galatians six. Lord God, thank you for the day. Um, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to um, to to continue to preach. Lord God, I, I don't I don't deserve that that gift, but I'm I'm thankful for it. Um, I pray that you'll use this time today. I pray that you will touch our hearts. Um, I pray that you will help us and guide us. And Lord God, I pray that, that you will open ears to hear um, and eyes to see your word this morning. Thank you for your word. And we love you and we praise you, Lord God. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so really, you know, I got into this and I was like, okay, we're going to look through Galatians 6. We'll do the whole chapter. And so <laughs> you can imagine how that went for me. Um, you can see it's Galatians 6. One through four <laughs> that we're going to get to today. I I thought I was very clever. I think I've used this before, but uh, we're going to talk about bearing burdens today. And so hopefully you can see that up there. My my clever little title that I thought was just awesome because I like things like dad jokes and stuff like that. But um, Galatians six. So go ahead and turn there, um, flip there, point there, however you get there. Um, and we will read we'll read at least through ten, and then we'll focus in on um, the first four verses of the chapter. So uh, verse 1, Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever uh, one sows, that will uh, he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Lord God, I thank you again um, just for who you are. I thank you for your word. I pray that you will be glorified by what is said today. Um, Lord God, I pray that you will just um, touch my lips, Lord God, and, and help people to hear what you want. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we look at this, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time on uh, verse 1 and 2, really, because there's just a lot, a lot in there to, to kind of unpack and look at. But when he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that word transgression means kind of like a side slip. It means, uh, uh, it implies a getting off of the path. Okay? And so it's a side slip, it's a mess up, it's a mistake, it's going down the wrong path, and, and that's what it means. Um, this is not really talking about the defiant Christian who just rejects the truth. Right? The, the Bible has some teaching on what to do with that person as well, and we're not going to get into that necessarily today. But this is talking about the person who has sidestepped onto the wrong path. Okay, and so that's, that's what it means. Have you ever been on the wrong path? <laughs> right? We, it, it's, a, it's a silly question when you say it out loud because all of us would say, absolutely, I've been on the wrong path. I can look back this week and see times when I was, I was on the wrong path. Okay, and so I want you to keep that in mind as we talk through this. Um, you could be the one and have been and maybe are now the one who needs someone else to come alongside and say, hey, let's get back on the right path, right? And so let's have some grace and mercy for people when we're talking through this because this could be all of us. We all have a tendency um, to, to step onto the wrong path at times. So he says in, in this first verse, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so I was thinking about that when he says, you who are spiritual, here's my question, my hard question. I've got a number of hard questions today, honestly. Um, and as I was looking at this, I was, I was convicted my own self. I tell you what, last, last Sunday, Ryan did an awesome job, but convicted me in multiple ways. Well, he didn't, but the Holy Spirit did. And so I can get convicted by someone else preaching, and then I can get convicted by when I'm looking at it. Um, but here's a hard question. It says, you who are spiritual, restore others. Are you ready? Would, would someone look at you and say that you are a spiritual person and, and say that your life is defined in such a way that when you and if you came alongside them, they would be inclined to listen to you? That, that your, your words, your words of saying, hey, I want to come and help you, I feel like you're on the wrong path, would match up with your life, right? Would they at least see your attempts of restoration as consistent with how you live your life? I'm not asking, are you perfect, right? That wasn't the question. The, the question was, are you ready? So when you do mess up, do you get back on the right path? Do you repent? When you do mess up and you get on the wrong path, are you someone, when, when someone else comes beside you and says, hey, I think you may be on the wrong path, are you willing to listen to that, right? Are you, are you someone who um, your life would be consistent with someone who would come alongside and say, hey, can I help you? I want to help you. Um, and that's a hard question. That's a big question. Um, but it's one we need to think about. And I've said this before, uh, but sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to come alongside someone and say, hey, I think you're going down the wrong path. And it says to do it in gentleness here. So it's not this, this bold, brash, hey, you're, you're being so dumb right now. Stop that, right? It's, it's a, gent a spirit of gentleness, and we're coming alongside them. But that can be sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to confront a fellow brother or sister in Christ and, and tell them, I don't think what you're doing is right. I think there's a better way. Let's look at the Scripture um, together and, and, and explore that. And do it with a spirit of gentleness. Okay? So that, that's the idea. It's, the idea is restoration. That's the goal here. The goal is not to make them look bad, not to make them feel bad. The goal is, I want to restore you. I want to get you back on the right path. And so we don't excuse it, right? 
Sometimes that's our tendency when we see others sin. We say, oh, it's an, it's an excuse. Um, I'll make an excuse for them. Okay, we don't excuse it, but we also and don't ignore it. We don't just say, I see them doing this. I can see signs of them going on the wrong path, this side slip, this, this stepping off of the path God has for them. I see that, but I'm just going to ignore it and not do anything with it. That is not what the Bible tells us to do. Okay, so we don't excuse it and we don't ignore it. There's a better way. We're looking towards restoration coming alongside them. Okay, the verb is instructive. This quote says, um, Katerizo means to put in order. It's talking about this word to restore. And so to restore to its former condition. It was used in secular Greek as a medical term for setting a fractured or dislocated bone. It is applied in Mark 1.19 to the apostles who were mending their nets. And so that's the idea here. We uh, think of a broken bone that we want to set back so that it can heal properly. Or a net that needs mended. That's the idea of restoration. Something has gone wrong. Something's off, off track. And, and we need to come alongside and be willing to help someone get it back on track. To mend it. To restore it. Just like a broken bone, we wouldn't just ignore if one of my kids had a broken bone and I knew it, I wouldn't look at it and say, that looks pretty painful, and then walk along my way, right? We wouldn't do that. We would say, there's a broken bone. How can I help in this situation? What can I do? How can I help restore that bone back to health? Um, how can we restore it? And so that's, that's the idea here. But here's the thing. Like, like a lot of things in our world, we tend to go to extremes. And so kind of back to that, we often want to ignore sin or ban it or sorry, or ban the person, or shun the person, or gossip about the person. Okay, and neither one of those are good. It's not good to ignore them. That's not being a brother or sister in Christ. That's not doing what's best for them. But it's also not right to ban and shun and gossip about them. That's not being a brother or sister in Christ. That's not what's best for them or for you. Okay, and here restoration is encouraged. Here the idea is I'm going to get involved, and I'll talk about that again in a second with bearing burdens, we're going to actually get involved in their life with them to help them. Okay? That is the hardest of those three options. Ignore, pretty easy. Gossip, shun them, kind of tend to ban them, pretty easy really. But to actually get involved and to actually step into someone's life and to actually try to help them, it's, it's work and it's difficult and it's, and it's muddy and it's dirty and it's hard and so I, I'm with you on that that's the hardest of those options. And we would rather do maybe the other two. But here's what we're called to. We won't always want to. I mean, I put the question up there. Will we won't always want to? I'll answer it already. We won't always want to. Because sometimes you can see someone who has stepped off the wrong path and you're like, oh, it is going to take some work. It is going to take some work to get them back on the right path. Um, it is going to take some, some effort. And, and we grow weary. Later in the chapter, it talks about uh, don't grow weary in doing good. But we can grow weary in doing good. And so we won't always feel like it. But if we want to follow the Word of God, if we want to do what, what the Word of God tells us to do, then we have to. As Christians, we're called to. We have to get in there. We have to help restore. That's what we're supposed to do. It is worth it. It is worth it. And we all need it at different times. Okay, So you can't, please don't be someone who thinks, I'm going to only be someone who restores others. I will never need help. We're going to talk about pride in a second. That's what that is. We, we all need help at times. 
And so, you know, I want to say this. This is, this is where this kind of took some of my thoughts when I'm thinking about how we would react to someone we see who is on the wrong path. Okay, And I, I really honestly think that how you treat someone who sins, how you treat them can be a good litmus test for kind of your level of legalism in some ways. And so I want to talk through that. When you see a Christian overtaken by a sin, again, this is not the Christian who is saying, I'm defiant, leave me alone, I'm going to do what I want to do. I've, there, there are people I know in my life right now who, who are, are that way. I've gone to them, others have gone to them. And they've just said, I don't want it, leave me alone. Right? That's different. I'm talking about the person who um, maybe they don't even realize how far off track they are. Right? Um, and this is who we're talking about. And how do you treat someone like that? When you see them overtaken by sin, what do you do? Here's some options. These are hard. These are, these are difficult. I'm, I'm asking you to be really honest with yourself. Um, some of these things as I was preparing this, um, these are the things that kind of broke me down. Like, well, Kevin, what do you do? How do you treat someone who's in sin? So here's some hard things. Here's some ways that we do sometimes treat people in sin or on the wrong path. We just judge them and move on. We look at them, we judge them, and then we move on. We don't, we don't restore. We don't try to jump in there. We don't bear burdens as we'll look at in chapter 2. Uh, sometimes we just gossip. We don't say anything to them, but I'll get on the phone or I'll get on Marco Polo now, which I didn't even know what that was before the pandemic. But we'll somehow get on somewhere and we'll um, say, hey, did you, hear, did you see what was going on over here? Did you hear about this? Did you see this? And we gossip about it. Is that what you do? Do you say things like, I would never do that? Talk about pride <laughs> if that's what you do. If you say, I would never do that, that, that's pride. Do you secretly have joy that it makes you look a little bit better? That this person has kind of fallen and you look a little bit better. Does that give you a little bit of joy inside? You need to check your heart if that's what's going on. Um, do you, on the other side of it, do you only say, well, we all sin and just kind of move on? And so again, it's a different way of ignoring it. One way you're kind of judging and gossiping. This way you're kind of saying, well, we all sin, but move on and you don't get involved. Or do you maybe even join in or ignore it because you're just like, hey, grace, there's grace in Jesus, and there's grace in, in being a Christian, which is true, but let me address that in a second. Or, do you actually do some of the work of restoration? Do you keep your mouth shut about it to others? Do you keep yourself, that is a natural temptation, if we have something, some news, good or bad, right or wrong, if we have it and we don't think someone else has it, we want to tell them, I'm asking you to fight against that urge. That is not restoring your brother or sister in Christ. So keep, it, keep our mouth shut sometimes is better. Do we recognize that there is grace, but also that there is a better path of obedience for them to walk in? Right? Paul addresses this, and I should have put it up here. But he's basically saying, because grace covers us, should I just go on and sin and do whatever? And he's like, heavens no. Absolutely not. So there is grace. Our salvation is, is completely and entirely based on the grace of our Lord okay, and on the work of Jesus on the cross. But it doesn't mean that once we're saved, we can just say, well, forget it all. I can just do whatever I feel like. That's not what we're called to as Christians. That's not what the Spirit is going to let us settle for in our lives as Christians. So you recognize that there is grace, but also a better path for them. And then you pray for them. And then you try to restore them and help them. You go to them. You have to actually, again, 
get involved with them. This is a much better way than seeing it, judging it, gossiping about it, but doing nothing, or seeing it, saying, oh, no big deal, and doing nothing. This is actually a way of restoration. We pray for them. We go to them. We ask how we can help. Um, we, we help bear their burdens, as we'll talk about in a second. The legalist, and, and maybe some of you don't know what that is. When I say a legalist, I'm not talking about a person who loves the law of the Lord. We should all love what God tells us to do and the paths that He tells us to, to walk in. The legalist is the person who their Christian life is based on that. Their Christian life is based on following the rules and they think they're going to gain favor from the Lord somehow by following the rules and being really, really good. And then when they see others, they have a tendency to judge them and shun them and gossip about them. So the legalist will look down and shun. Uh, the antinomian, a new word for some of you, will act like the person has no obligation to do right. So it's kind of the other end of the spectrum. The legalist says it's all about following the rules. The antinomian says um, there's no obligation to do what's right. You're saved by grace. You don't have to worry about doing anything that's right. Don't even think about it. You see, see what I'm talking about? We do this in our, in our lives in all kinds of ways. You see it with this pandemic right now. People going all the way one way about what they think, all the way to the other, right? We, we tend to operate in extremes. So the legalist will look down and shun them. The antinomian will act like the person has no obligation to do right. But the spiritual person, the one who he says, anyone who is, you who are spiritual should restore him, the spiritual person will try to restore them in gentleness. And that's the person we want to be. We want to be the spiritual person. We don't want to be the, the people on the, on the extremes. right? We want to be the spiritual person who says, yes, there's grace, but there is a better way for you. And I want, to, I want to talk with you about that. I want to show you that way. I want to help you. I want to pray for you. Okay? And then still in verse 1. You can see now why I didn't make it anywhere near all the way through the chapter. Verse 1 says, Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Keep watch. So if I'm going to be willing to step into that person's life and step into the mess and step into a, a, a situation that needs restoration... I'm supposed to watch out for myself lest I be tempted and fall. So we need to watch for pride, for one, that you think you're really, really good because you did this. Listen, anything good about me and about you, God did that. Like He gets all the credit. So we watch for pride. But then it's a very clear warning, right? He says, watch on yourself, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And so we've got, to, we've got to be aware that there is something about this work of restoration, and I, I don't know exactly what it is, but there is something about this work of restoration that can lead to us being tempted. Part of, the, part of the thing I think it could be, Satan doesn't want me to get involved in your life. Satan doesn't want you to get involved in my life. He doesn't want us to be people who are willing to not just ignore, not just gossip, not just shun people, he doesn't, he, that's who He wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be people who are willing to say, you know what, there's a better way. Let's look at it in the Bible together. He doesn't want us to restore. So I do imagine that He comes alongside and if He sees one of you trying to restore someone else, that He starts to tempt you and throw things your way. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure, but, but it's a very clear warning to keep watch. So you've got to be aware, got to be alert. Okay, let's move on to uh, verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
And so we're supposed to we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. This is a famous verse. Probably a lot of you, if you've been in church very much, you you've heard it, you've known it. But I'll say right off the bat, there is a difference between hearing it and knowing it, and then actually doing it. Okay, there is a difference there. It takes time. It takes effort. But what is the outcome? What's this verse say? What's the outcome? Bear one of the, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Talk about a good a good kind of equation for us. Bear people's burdens, and I'm going to be doing what Jesus told me to do. That's awesome. That's amazing. That should be the goal of our life. Do what Jesus told me to do, right? Do what the Word tells me to do. So bear one another's burdens, and He says, I'll fulfill the law of Christ. So I have a video. I'm not quite sure how it'll work, and so this part may completely be edited out. I don't know, but I wanted to try it. Um, this video is about, so He says, if you bear burdens, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? I think you'll at least be able to hear the video. We'll see how much you can see, but um, what does it mean, the, the law of Christ? What is that exactly? So let's try this video out. What is the law of Christ? We're going to answer that question. Galatians 6.2 states, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What exactly is the law of Christ, and how is it fulfilled by carrying each other's burdens? The Bible nowhere specifically defines what precisely is the law of Christ. However, most Bible teachers understand the law of Christ to be what Christ stated were the greatest commandments. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The law of Christ, then, is to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In Mark 12, 32-33, the scribe who asked Jesus the question responds with, To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. In this, Jesus and the scribe agreed that those two commands are the core of the entire Old Testament law. All of the Old Testament law can be placed into the category of loving God or loving your neighbor. Various New Testament scriptures state that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law, bringing it to completion and conclusion, rather than trying to remember the 600 plus individual commandments in the Old Testament law, Christians are to simply focus on loving God and loving others. If Christians would truly and wholeheartedly obey those two commands, we would be fulfilling everything that God requires of us. Christ freed us from the bondage of the hundreds of commands in the Old Testament law, and instead calls on us to love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. Some use the fact that we are not under the Old Testament law as an excuse to sin. The Apostle Paul addresses this very issue in Romans. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. For the follower of Christ, the avoidance of sin is to be accomplished out of love for God and love for others. Love is to be our motivation. When we recognize the value of Jesus, 
Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Our response is to be love, gratitude, and obedience. Our motivation for overcoming sin should be love, not a desire to legalistically obey a series of commandments. We are to obey the law of Christ because we love him, not so that we can check off a list of commands that we have successfully obeyed. That answers the question, what is the law of Christ? Okay, so so there you go. I thought I thought it was a good video. It touched on a few things that we we talked about earlier, as well as what what does it mean? What does the Bible mean by the law of Christ? And so, I think sometimes we as as Christians we we say I'm not sure what to do. I don't know how to live this Christian life. I don't know what to do. If you want to start just right here, you're going to be doing it just by bearing the the burdens of others. Right, and part of that is is helping to restore them and helping them in that in bear that burden. Um, but you can start right there, and and it's gonna be it's gonna be good, right? And so it is it is vitally important if the Bible says bearing burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ. It is vitally important that we are willing to help bear people's burdens. Okay, it, it's vitally important. It, it it doesn't matter. There's not much that matters more than that than me being willing to say, I see someone who has a burden of different kinds. Maybe it's they've fallen into sin. Maybe it's a financial burden you can help with. Maybe it's they just need um, a friend to talk to. Whatever that burden may be, right? A Christian is, is going to be someone who says, I want to do what, what the Word tells me to do. I want to do what Jesus tells me to do. So I'm willing to engage in that situation. I'm willing to do that. But honestly, sometimes we sit around and we wait for others to come and bear our burdens. And this is just our, for some of us, it is our just natural mode of operations. Is I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait for people to come and bear my burdens. And then I might get a little grumpy or angry if they don't. Okay? Listen, you, you should be willing to ask people for help. Right? I am not saying anything against that. I've been begging people to ask for help during this time, and if you need help, ask for help. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about just your normal operating mode is I'm going to think about myself, and I'm going to expect people to come and bear my burdens, and you're not even really thinking about how can I bear the burdens of others, right? And I've, I do this at times, and so I'm not speaking down to you in this. I'm speaking level with you in this, that I can become very selfish at times and think how can people bear my burdens. Again, perfectly great and wants you to ask for help. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just our general, if, you're, if, if in general your mode is, I'm going to seek help, I'm going to be a taker and not a giver, I'm not even thinking about giving, then you need to ask some hard questions. You need to change that. Okay, so I hope that makes sense. So verse 3, and, and we'll start to wrap up here, but he says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Humility. This, is, this verse is all about humility and pride. So let me read it again. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I heard someone talk about once, and I can't remember, it was a pastor, I can't remember who it was, but they described um, humility as the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. And um, Tim Keller once, he's another pastor, um, described humility as not thinking Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, right? And so it's someone who is more outward focused, they're not focused on themselves, okay? And so, you know, it, it sounds harsh here, right? For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, 
He deceives himself. We don't ever really like to describe ourselves as nothing. But I'm just, you think through it, the Christian can be comfortable in saying we're nothing. We can be comfortable in saying we're nothing because in Christ and through Christ, we have everything. We have everything we need and we're secure and we're set and we're sanctified and our eternal security is, is in stone and set. And so we can be comfortable as a Christian. We should be comfortable in saying, there's nothing special about me. There, there's nothing special about me that I could earn salvation or that I could be any better than anybody else. And you know what? That is okay because I have everything I need in Jesus. I have everything I need in Jesus. So we can be comfortable. We should be comfortable in saying, hey, we're nothing. But you know what? I have everything I need in Jesus. I have everything I need. And He was willing to die for this person who was nothing, who was not obedient to Him, who was even an enemy. And He was willing to still come and die for me. So I have everything. And so part of this, He's talking about restoring. He's talking about bearing burdens. If you're not humble... Right? If you're not humble, you're probably not someone who's out there looking to help other people. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe there's too much pride in you to where you're not looking to help other people. So are you humble enough to help someone? Pride is, pride is extremely destructive. And the Bible is very clear about, about how destructive it is, about how much God doesn't like pride. It's extremely destructive. And so I, I just kind of thought through some different ways that pride is destructive. Right? He's calling us to humility here in this verse, but pride is extremely destructive. Here are some ways that I think it leads to some destructive behaviors. Our pride can lead us um, to an inability to receive help. It goes back to what I was saying a second ago. Maybe you are so prideful that you will never even ask for help. That's not right. You're not giving us an opportunity to help you. You're not giving us an opportunity to have a blessing by helping you. Pride can, can lead to an inability to admit that you're wrong. Okay, has anybody ever told you, you just think you know it all? Has anybody ever told you, you never admit that you're wrong? Listen, it's, I may be banging my head against the wall here, um, but if that's happened in your life, if that's been a pattern, it could be that you're someone who has too much pride. You're, you're, you're unwilling to admit that you're wrong. <laughs> Don't ask me why I, I, it was easy for me to come up with all these examples. If you did ask me, I would tell you because I know it's a struggle for me of having too much pride. And so some of these things were easy for me to think through, unfortunately. Uh, pride can lead us, it's a striving, can lead us to a striving to look good in front of everyone no matter what the cost, right? It's my self-image, it needs to be built up, it needs to be maintained no matter the cost. I've seen it worked out in, in at least these two ways and more. We, we might lie to protect our image. Um, we might steal to protect our image. I've seen people, I've seen even pastors um, who have, um, one I knew of, he stole hundreds of thousands of dollars to maintain a certain lifestyle because he was protecting his image because, in my opinion, he was probably filled with pride. Pride can lead us to put others down so that we look better. Pride can lead, lead us into an inability to learn. If I'm so prideful, then I'm going to think I know it all, and I'm not willing to listen if someone comes and gives me advice. I'm not willing to listen when the person comes to try to restore um, me if I'm off the path. I'm not willing to even admit that I'm off the path. This is how destructive that pride can be. It can be an unwillingness to correct, correct that behavior. 
It can even lead to not understanding that you need a Savior. You may have so much pride that you don't really fully understand or get that you needed Jesus and that you need Him every day, okay? And this verse tells us, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Okay, he deceives himself. So verse 4, and then we'll stop. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. We compare ourselves to others. And we do it pretty often. If you look around in our world and I look at my own life, we compare ourselves to others. And when we do that, it either leads to a feeling of superiority. I look at them and then I think, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of better than they are. Or it can lead to a feeling of inferiority to where we see them and they're doing this and they're mom of the year and they've got it all together and they've just handled this pandemic like it's nothing and you're like, I'm over here falling apart. My kids are eating Cheetos out of the cracks of the sofa. Like, I'm losing it. And then you feel inferior. And you know what? You're not supposed to feel either one of those ways. You're not supposed to feel inferior to anybody. Inferior to anybody and you're not supposed to feel um, superior to anybody. That's not how we're supposed to feel. Because again, it's not about us. I can say I'm nothing because it's about Jesus. It's about what He did for me. It's about who He is in my life. It's about how He sustains me every day. It's about how the Spirit leads us. It's about Him. And so we don't need to be comparing ourselves to other people. And that's you know, what this verse is, is about. Let each one test his own work. It's, it's kind of a worry about yourself type of an idea. It's not about comparing to someone else. Um, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Okay, it's, it's not about anyone else. It's about you. You know, just some closing thoughts today um, before we stop. I, I was thinking through this and thinking, you know, specifically about bear burdens and I fulfill the law of Christ. And, you know, sometimes I think we make church harder than it has to be. Um, sometimes we make living the Christian life more more um, confusing than it has to be. Um, you know, the, the church, it's not an institution. And I think maybe we're seeing this in this pandemic. We're not together right now. We're not, um, we're not this horde of people who have come together and then that's the church and then we separate out. That's not what it is. It's individuals making decisions every day. It's you making decisions to bear burdens and help restore people. It's me making decisions to help bear burdens and restore people. It's, it's individuals doing that and supporting each other in that and, and, and supporting and looking at our community. You know, and so it's not, um, it's, not, it's not about me. This church is not me. This church is not me. This church is not the deacons. This church is not Ryan. This church is every last one of us just day in and day out, you know, doing our best, loving the Lord and, and, and following Him. And bearing burdens. And, and when that happens, and we see more and more people doing that, and more and more people bearing burdens, and more and more people loving on each other, um, like so many of you do, but when we see even more of that, man, you're going to see awesome things. So, so we don't have to make it too confusing. Bear burdens of those around you. Part of our mission statement, love others. Bear burdens of those around you. So many of you right now are looking. I've had people call me um, saying, how can I help? What can I do? 
right? And so many people are looking to bear burdens. And that's awesome. That's loving others. You know, we're trying to walk in the Spirit. We've talked about that a few few Sundays ago. Um, we're, we're loving God in that way. We're just trying to, trying to follow Him and just love Him, surrendering to Him. So loving others, we're bearing burdens. Loving God, walking in the Spirit, telling others what we've got. Telling others what we've got. We make disciples, you know, I'm, I'm still thinking through this, and so I don't know if I should say it or not, but um, I feel like sometimes I get up here and I'm just begging people to be saved. And I'm begging people to, to make decisions. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that's wrong, but it's not about me begging people. It's about me living my life in such a way that people see that I, I have joy in the Lord. I have joy in my salvation. And then I can tell them, you need this. This is what you need. When, when something is so good, right? When something is so good, we don't necessarily feel like we have to beg people to come and partake in it. And that's the way I feel about Christianity. It is so good. Loving Jesus, Him loving me, having acceptance by Him and His work on the cross, it is so good that I just want you to know. And so, I, you know, I don't know if I should be begging or not. I'll probably continue but the reality is, it is just so good. I can't even hardly believe that you wouldn't want it, right? It's just so good, okay? So if we, if we as a church, we want to keep growing and thriving, it's just up to each one of us. There's no program we're going to come up with. There's no set of schedules that we're going to come up with. Um, there's no perfect path forward that as a church we're going to walk in. It's up to you, and it's up to me. And I'm going to give you a quick example of this, and then I'll be done. Um, I had a church member on, while we were on vacation, which was great, but um, good to be back, but, but it was really, really good uh, for our family. Um, but I had a church member call me, and I'm going to try to encourage them maybe to video this and share with us, so we'll see if they're willing to do that or not. I'm not going to say their name, but they called me, and, and they started, they said, I've got a story to tell you, and, and started kind of telling me this story. At this point, I don't know if this is a really, really good story. Or if this is going to be a really, really bad story and something that's, that's really stressful or hard or difficult. And so I'm kind of on edge as they're talking and telling me this story. And they get into it, and I, I'm going to make it very, very short. Because again, I'm hoping maybe they'll, they'll share it with us. But they get into it, and, and what happened out of this story was a person that they worked with, um, and there's so much more to it, but a person that they worked with, they got to lead them to Christ. And so this person was saved. And, and the reason was, it wasn't because Eudora Baptist Church had the perfect program or had anything perfect about us. It was because this one church member, this individual, was willing to talk to this person to show them the love of Christ and then tell them about the love of Christ. And God helped in so many ways. Um, at one point, their car broke down, so they had to go on a different day, which worked out perfect. It was just awesome. But it, it did my heart good. We were crying on the phone together. I, I just loved it. And to me, that's what the church is, right? It's, it's us going, and it's us as individuals bearing burdens, making disciples. We're just loving God, loving others, and just doing our best. And so, so I loved it. And so the, as, I, as I end most sermons... If, that, if you don't have it yet, right, and, and if, you, if you're not a Christian yet, and, and for whatever reason, you're just on the edge or you're waiting, I don't, I don't know why you would be, again, because it's, it is that good. But if you're not, here it is. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And, and a little bit later it says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that's it. Jesus is that good. He did that work for you. He died on the cross for us to pay for our sins and to make atonement for us. And He rose, rose from the grave three days later. And you can surrender to Him. Um, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's the boss. He gets to run your life forever. And then you believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. And you can join in with other people who are bearing burdens and who are trying to restore people. And you can join in and you can love. And we are not a perfect community here. And there are tons of other churches as well, but none of them are perfect. But it is something like nothing else. Being a part of a church, being a part of a group of individuals who are willing to look out for each other, who are willing to love on each other, who are willing to sacrifice for each other, who will call, who will pray. Um, it, it is something like nothing else, right? It, it just absolutely is. And so we invite you to it. We invite you to it. So I love you. I encourage you to be praying for um, Rick Butler's family. Um, just kind of a, a shocking thing. Um, so be praying for them. I, I'm, so, I'm so happy for him and where he's at right now because I believe this. I believe the, the Word of God and I believe Rick was a Christian and, and he's with the Lord right now. But be praying for them. So let me pray for you all. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to love on each other, to serve each other, um, to help restore each other. Help us to take those opportunities. Help us to understand that that's what we're called to. And just use us for that, Lord God. Use us. I pray that you'll go with these these words, Lord God, this morning, I pray again that you'll open ears and hearts to hear your truth from your word, Lord God, and, and, and we love you, Lord God. Save people, use us, re restore us, help us, Lord God, and, and we praise you. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all. Bye.